Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralesa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. Writing my dissertation on Christmas Day, all of these things that, you know, at the time I thought that was amazing. Look at how hard I'm working, but looking back, it was not healthy at all. If we can release the power of failure, then we're likely to be more successful because we won't engage in those sabotaging behaviors that mean we avoid challenge and difficulty. The meaning should be that we're creating things and we're leaving things in the world for other people to use and enjoy. That should be our purpose and drive. Enjoy more of the journey and the process because that's where you really find your joy. Welcome to the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Our guest today is Professor Thomas Curran. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the listeners of the podcast for their support. I have just launched a new website, which now has all the podcast interviews and links to all my content. Please do check it out. It's called harshabaralesa.com. Please note that in this episode, we may touch on mental health and wellness topics, purely in general terms. If you have specific issues or concerns, please contact a suitable professional. Now back to the show. Thomas grew up in Wellingborough, Northamptonshire, before studying at De Montfort University and the University of Leeds. He taught at several universities in Australia and the UK before joining the Department of Psychological and Behavioural Science at the London School of Economics as a professor in 2019. He's a fifth LSE academic that I've had on the show. This is not intentional. All universities are welcome. Tom studies the personality characteristic of perfectionism, how it develops and how it impacts on mental health. His TED talk on perfectionism has received more than 3 million views. His research has been featured in media ranging from the Harvard Business Review to New Scientist to CNN, and he has appeared on numerous television and radio programs. He is the author of the best-selling The Perfection Trap, which is a great read. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you so much for having me, Hush. I'm really excited for our chat. What's it like to be interviewed by Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> wow, that was a great interview. I, I didn't know what to expect. I am not somebody who takes too much of an interest in popular culture, but obviously everybody has heard of Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> um, all sorts of people were very excited <laughs> when I told them. Probably more excited than I was, actually, because I was so immersed in the book and the PR stuff. But look, it was amazing. She was great. Um, she'd read the book, which was just blew my mind. She had some really interesting insights of her own. And really, it was one of those chats where I was just as interested to know what she thought about this uh, topic as I did. So it was a really, really um, cool discussion. And yeah, one I won't won't forget. And it's always now online on the internet can't be taken away so you know if i need a conversation starter <laughs> at the next event then uh, i'll have that one in my back pocket so surreal experience but loved it i'm a big fan of the arts is there a performer song book or film which you'd like to share with us yeah i i am too um i really love literature and my favorite book is actually also my favorite film it's the english patient 
Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, I just, it's one of those uh, books that just stops you in your tracks. It always takes your breath away uh, in terms of how well it's written, um, the structure, the way that uh, it develops the story. Uh, in so It has so many different layers, goes back in time, goes forward. It's just, it's, inc- it's an incredible book. And the film is, is such a, it was so that's a, such a difficult book to turn into a film in so many ways because of the chronology and, and how it unfolds. And they just did a wonderful job of not following exactly to the plot and the chronology. And it works so well. So that I think The English Patient is absolutely it's just an incredible book and film. And I'd encourage anyone who hasn't seen it or read the book to do so. I love that choice. Now, back to the beginning, what led to your interest in psychology? Was it through sport? Uh, yeah, I think so. I was an avid sports fan um, and when I was younger I was a reasonably good athlete didn't quite work out for me unfortunately but I did get to a, quite a good level through the academies in the UK system which is difficult to do when, when you're a kid because a lot of people uh, a lot of young boys go into that system but uh, you know like like many many other young young boys I was cut when I was 14 didn't quite make the make it over the a line unfortunately but that those experiences stayed with me, actually. It was one of the things that I, I decided, well, if I'm not going to be a football player, I'm going to stay in sports. So I wanted to be a PE teacher. So I went to university to study PE. Uh, and in that process, I got really interested in psychology because I think the psychological impact of being cut for a young age is something that I'd already carried with me. It kind of fascinated me, like how we deal with those setbacks. So I, I looked into sports psychology how to deal with things like anxiety, coping under pressure and all the rest of it, psychological skills, mental toughness, that sort of stuff. Really interesting, really, really interesting stuff. And so I specialised in sports psychology and then did a PhD in psychology and then I've ended up here. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but it, but it definitely was sparked by my interest in sport, that's true. Clearly, obviously, for you, things have gone incredibly well. It, it wasn't linear. It wasn't straightforward. Um, and I, I read an article where you went to Australia and things sli- slightly went, went awry. Um, maybe you'd like to touch on that a bit, Thomas, if you okay? Of course, yeah. I mean, my aspirations were never to be uh, a TED Talk giving LSE uh, professor with a best-selling book. These are things I never in my wildest dreams have ever imagined happened to me. And so the journey has been one that, uh, you know, in order to go from where I started to where I think you have to, you have to make sacrifices. And I made a lot of sacrifices in my twenties. And once I realized that actually, oh, I I might be quite, you know, good at this. I might have an eye for a project and and maybe a different perspective, perhaps than other people on certain psychological issues, which is, which is why I published quite well. As you say, I had had some success, but it did come at the expense of my mental health because I was doing a lot of things that weren't healthy, like staying up late, working evenings, weekends, um, writing my dissertation on Christmas day, all of these things that, you know, just, at the time I thought that was amazing look at how hard I'm working but looking back it was not healthy at all and I got my first postdoc position after you know putting myself under all that stress strain of a PhD in Australia and I just couldn't keep it keep it going because that's the thing with perfectionistic striving unrelenting standards it's fine in the short term but it's not a sustainable way to strive in the long term and and you will feel exhausted you will f- find yourself struggling and when stresses come into your life out of the blue 
they can interact with that perfectionism in really quite um, difficult ways. And that's certainly the case for me, stressful event, um, stressful breakup in that period of time, combined with me leaving home, moving to a new country, a lot of big things, a lot of changes. I just can can deal with it. And my perfectionism was the one thing I thought was holding me up. When all of this stuff was coming down, I thought, no, I've got to hold on to my perfectionism because that's what's keeping me going. But actually, the perfectionism was amplifying and creating a lot of the problems. And so I decided I needed to step back from that pressure, take a different direction, move back home and almost start again, I suppose, um, with a slightly different outlook. And that that was really when I started to look more deeply into perfectionism because I'm reflecting on those experiences. It was really the perfectionism that created those problems. And I saw it all around me and I wanted to know more about it. So that's why I studied this curious trait. That's really helpful for our listeners, Tom. You had to almost step back to move forward because I think, you know, especially in modern life, it's very much about um, you have this linear, supposedly linear path and it's you're going from A to B to C and then suddenly you're a hero or a heroine. But actually having those squiggly careers or those non-linear careers is actually um, more common than we realize. People like that narrative that they were the the golden child from an early age and it was an inevitable rise to success. And I think for you, um, and also the fact that you're still relatively young, so the fact that you've gone back to go forward is actually quite inspiring in a way for our listeners that you, you did have setbacks and it wasn't a minor setback, it was a pretty major setback. Um, so you've done incredibly well to bounce back from that. Well, I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. I just wanted to be really open and frank. In, and I want to be open and frank in my discussion about my own experience with perfectionism because there's, it, it, you listen, I listen to a lot of gurus <laughs> and I read a lot of developmental books. And sometimes you can be led to the belief that if you just work hard and keep pushing through uh, the pain and all the rest of it, that in the end you'll get there. And and sometimes when I reflect on my own experience, and I listen to other people too, you know, we know, don't we, as human beings, that it's not that simple. It's not as simple to just say, keep working and you'll get there in the end. Uh, you're going to encounter setbacks. You're going to stand still for a little while. You're going to, as you mentioned there, in my experience, you're going to step backwards. All these things are just normal part and parcel of human progress, human growth. Even though it sounds counterintuitive, human growth is also includes stepping back. You know, because sometimes in those moments we can release ourselves from those, the pressures to move forward, which uh, are actually holding us back um, and to take a different direction in order to grow further. Um, and so I think, you know, we just have to have honest open conversations about that because it is OK to reset sometimes. And you don't have to do as radical a reset as I did. Sometimes it's just as simple as taking a week off work. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's OK to do that, to give yourself permission to do that. And know that it's, in the long run, that's going to be eminently more healthy than trying to continually push, 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 push. So, yeah, I hope through those experiences, sharing my own experiences and listening to other people who share similar experiences, you know, uh, really helps people recognize that uh, success isn't, isn't a linear path. And that's OK. Embrace it. So, Tom, moving to Australia isn't a requirement. No, it's not. <laughs> Although I fully recommend it, by the way, it wasn't Australia as a problem. Back in a flash. I like that point you make about failure because you know it's an inevitable part of life. And we were talking just before, you know, I come from a sort of cricketing background, and there as a batsman, if you're succeeding thirty to forty percent of the time, that's actually a good career, and you're failing, say, sixty to seventy percent. So you've just got to get 
comfortable with the idea of things not going well and figuring out a way to mentally adapt. Uh, but in life, it's not easy for people. It's like a relentless striving. Um, and I think for some people, when they hit that first setback, I remember when I, I hit my first roadblock, it, it, it's tough to sometimes, you know, bounce back. I think it's really important, Hush. A little, little birdie told me you're a professional cricketer. I'd call that success. Uh, they also told me that you averaged over 50 at Lords, which is an incredible success. So <laughs> your hit rate is pretty good. But you're absolutely right on your broader point. Look, you know, failure is part and parcel of life, right? So you're going to fail way more yeah. than you can succeed. It's regression to the mean. 249 of the 250 athletes that begin the Tour de France are not going to finish the general qualification the winner. Yeah, yeah it's the same Wimbledon. You know, there's only one champion. <laughs> You know, everybody else at some point is going to lose a game. So I think we have to recognize that. And sometimes in modern society, we find it that really difficult, that reality really difficult because the pressures are really high. You know, you don't want to be seen to fail. And it's particularly in school and college, by the way, young people, you know, if you fail a, yes. a test, you could be brought down a class, which has massive implications. So the, the consequences that we place on uh, sorry failure in modern society yeah. I think, are what's part of this problem. We have to look past the kind of easy explanation that, oh, well, you know, we just therefore have to avoid success at all costs. What we have to recognise that actually that way is the way to failure, more failure. What's much more healthier way to serve is to recognise that failure is part and parcel of the learning process. And that actually, if we can release the power of failure, then we're likely to be more successful because we won't engage in those sabotaging behaviours that mean we avoid challenge and difficulty and try to choose the path of least resistance. You know, that might be good for success in the short term, but when we're thinking about innovation, knowledge economy and all the rest of it, you know, the modern workplace requires creativity, innovation. That's where you're going to elevate yourself above, you know, in the end of companies and above other people. So, but, you know, I think we've got to get comfortable with failure. We've got to get comfortable. And at the moment, I think we're a little bit uncomfortable with it, and myself included. By the way. That's such a nice segue into your work and perfectionism, as it's very much about your deficit thinking and self-sabotage, which I think for a lot of people, they don't realise that um, psychological element to perfectionism. But um, maybe you'd like to start off with, you know, how do you define perfectionism? Well, that was a lovely segue. Thank you, Harsha. Very seamless into uh, perfectionism because this is really what it is, right? It is very core. It's about failure and aversion to failure and not wanting to show any chink in the armory to other people. Why? Because then it exposes something that deep down we know exists, but we don't want to exist. And that's an imperfect, flawed self that resides in our interiors that we're trying to disguise and hide from the world. And that's really what perfectionism is at root. You know, it's a deficit for what you a form of deficit thinking, a, a, a sense that we're not perfect enough, that we're less than. And that really our sacred mission in life is to prove to other people that we're okay, that we're good enough, that we're worth something. And how do we guarantee that? Well, we try to be perfect. And so if if we start there with our understanding of perfectionism, then you can really begin to see quite clearly, actually, how it can be very problematic for our mental health. But also importantly, how it isn't quite the Cape Crusader we think it is when it comes to success either. So I think it's really important conversation about affection to start with that deficit thinking. I think for a lot of people, they'll say, well, yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be perfectionistic. It's a question in the interview, what's your flaw? I'm a perfectionist. But um, but it is something in, in our society which we do hold very highly. But in, in the majority of other things, good enough is okay. 
Well, I'd even say lawyers, pilots, surgeons, you know, even in these professions, I don't think you really want a perfectionist. At the end of the day, you know, no, a contract sure. has got to go off. <laughs> but you can't yeah, keep of course, yeah. and iterating and f- finding loopholes and all the rest of it. You can't do it in, in, indefinitely. Sure. And that's the same for piloting. You know, if, if an engine goes at 45 feet, you've got to think clearly about how you get this plane down. And there are there may be a number of good enough options, but no one perfect option. And I think it's it's about thinking clearly in those situations and being able to go through the checklist and get the thing on the ground. And same with surgeons, same with nuclear plant. Like, you know, conscientiousness, meticulousness, diligence, all these things are really important, but they allow us to let things go when it's when it's right and good enough and correct and proper. Per- perfectionists will search and search and search for the perfect um, product or outcome, which simply doesn't exist. So I think we have to be um, aware of that when it comes to conversations about perfectionism, because, you know, it's um, it, it's not about holding back meticulousness or not being aspirational or whatever. The perfectionism sits on a completely different spectrum to those things. Um, and it's really important to make that distinction. There's a nice story in your book about your grandfather, who was a master craftsman, and clearly he had high standards, but it's not about validation for him. It's about doing the work, uh, Mm -hmm. putting it out into the world and then moving on. And I think that that's a nice distinction you brought up about you can have high standards, but you don't have to be perfectionistic. Um, Do you want to expand on that, Tom? Yeah, my grandfather was an incredible man. From the vantage point of a child... He he died when I was young, sadly. But I did get uh, I do have memories, and uh, and when you're a child and you're watching somebody make something from scratch with their hands, <laughs> it's it's just magical. Like you don't, how on earth are you able to do this? Uh, and uh, his wares, by the way, still exist, uh, still there, still in place. Staircases, bars, floors, window frames in in um, the pubs of Northamptonshire. So sometimes me and my dad will go and have a drink and uh, toast my grandfather, who's who is somewhere is still in those places. And and what that reminded me, really, or reflecting on that, was that, you know, his voca- he had a vocation. <laughs> like, he, wasn't, he wasn't interested in um, other people's of validation, fire emojis, how many followers eventually got, or even that... You know, dreaded three-star review that you might have got of my builder or whatever these days. Like none of those things mattered in his his world. He just wanted to make things for other people to use and enjoy, and that's where his pride and accomplishment came from. He could go home of an evening, put the television on, drop a whiskey, and be content that he'd done a good day's work and that people were using the things he'd made. I think there's something to learn there about what it is that work is for. I think work. We've lost the vocation in the work and we've replaced it with personality and identity and concern about whether it's good enough or whether people are going to like it. And then we need to reconnect with the purpose of it. What's the meaning? The meaning should be that we're creating things and we're leaving things in the world for other people to use and enjoy. That should be our purpose and drive. But at the moment, and I speak from personal experience with this, it's not about that. It's about competition. It's about lifting ourselves up about other people. It's about receiving approval, praise, um, and all the rest of it. And of course, you know, those things are really what, what's, uh, those are really an indications that perfectionism is, is driving our motivation rather than the need to do things or leave things in the world. Yeah, and I think that's a great point you bring up, Tom, because I think if you can think about the process, you can think about the work, and actually just enjoy the process and the work 
and enjoy the the art of creating something. If people like it, that's great. Um, I suppose the analytics are helpful in terms of guiding you to what you know, maybe people are interested in. But I think mm-hmm. if you're too driven by the tail, then you just get very depressed about the whole situation. I mean, just say with this podcast, I never started it to get validation. Uh, I'm not sure if I'll ever get validation from a podcast, but it's a whole idea of just creating something, putting something out into the world, and then having Thomas Curran on your podcast. I'm validated now. Yeah, Yeah, I'm one degree separation from Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, I... I, What... (laughs) What a link that is. Um, yeah, and, and I'm the link as well in that chain. That's crazy. But no, it's absolutely right. But that but that's the mo- that that is that is that that's that should always be the motivation behind what we're doing. And you know, Simon Sinek writes and talks very convincingly about reconnecting with our why. Like, why is it that we're doing these yeah. things? I think that's you know, that's so that's so important. My my fa- grandfather was very clear about why he did things. He just wanted to leave things in the world for other people to use. And of course he needed to make a living and all those things are true. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a means to an end in those respects, of but course, it yeah. was also a vocation. And I think, I think that's, that's in the modern workplace, we've lost, we've lost that meaning. We've lost that why chasing um, external validation and external cues that we're doing. Okay. Uh, and by the way, I think that's both for individuals and yeah. for organisations themselves to solve because it's a cultural problem just as much as it's an individual problem. But I do think I do think we need to reconnect with the why. No, that's a, that's a great point. And, and actually, with with perfectionism, what, what I was picking up from your work is that you've got this sort of partly genetic element, but you've got all these environmental uh, factors as well. Do you just want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. There's loads of evidence now to suggest that the way we turn out is heavily determined by biogenetics. I mean, heavily. I'm talking like 50%. Half of the differences between people are due to uh, genetics. And and that's a consistent finding now across all sorts of behavioral genetic studies, um, twin studies and all the rest of it. And that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. What that tells you is that really, you know, there's not a lot you can do both as individuals and maybe parents trying to shape young people, you know, there's a lot of it's how happens. And we, you know, we can, we, we can sit back and go, oh my God, that's crazy. Or actually you can find solace in that fact yeah. that actually there's some comfort there. That there's very little I could have done. And the, the way that I am was really uh, largely determined by how, how I started. However, I will say that even though it's like, there is a lot of big genetic component. There is still a lot for the environment to explain, uh, you know, about 50%. When it comes to perfectionism, about 60% of perfection is explained by the environment. So it's still a sizable amount for the environment to interact with genetics. And one of the things I'm trying to argue in the book about perfectionism is that when we think about the environmental side of the equation, we often look at parents or early life experiences, which are, by the way, really important, don't get me wrong. But we neglect, I think, some of the bigger factors, the bigger forces, the cultural forces that, that are impacting on everybody's need to be perfect. And when you look out into the world and see how much pressure there is, social media, huge pressure to be perfect um, in, in the, on the platforms. Uh, and they're in our lives 24-7. There's no escape. Uh, schools, colleges that become very pressurized um, and competitive. Um, changing parenting practices that, that reflect the way that the schools and colleges become more, more competitive with parents helicoptering a lot more and focusing on academic achievement and also you know the workplace it's it's, it's more insecure you've got to hustle you've got to grind you've got to make your own way there's no protections there's no securities particularly for young people entering the workforce 
That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. So, you know, there's all sorts of things going on there in wider environment, wider society, which I think are also um, pushing on people's need to be perfect. But you're absolutely right. It's an intricate blend of both. And there is a big genetic component to this. And it's interesting because I suppose on the genetic side, you know, people say if you're in a high achieving family, in order, you know, say if your parents have done well, they've obviously got a genetic element. So that's going to be passed on to you. And then they're going to be, you know, maybe they're Oxbridge types and they're going to say, well, if you didn't get to Oxbridge, you're a failure. So it's it's a lot of pressure on, on the kid, you know, so you have that, but also this environmental thing. And I think, say with the genetic thing, as, as human beings, we have certain genetic traits. But I think, as you're saying, if you do know about these things, then you can uh, try and put... Um, practices in place to help you and and say with your environment i mean it could be that you're among this very sort of high achieving group of friends and i'm not saying that you should dump all your high achieving friends but you should actually put it into context that you know everybody can't be a, an md everybody can't be a vp at an investment bank um and sometimes if you're in this group where everybody's going to these nice restaurants and you can't afford it it's a horrible situation to be in um i mean what what do you think tom well, I think we've got to be really careful, haven't we? Because there are all sorts of factors that, that lead people, for people to be successful. Yeah. Some which are due to their own efforts, but some of which aren't. And I think we also we need to bear that in mind. I think in modern society, we do platform the winners and we can get a very distorted perspective of what's achievable or what's obtainable. And we can think, we can look at our own circumstances in comparison to those and think, oh, we're not doing very well. We're not working yeah. hard enough. We're not smart enough and all the rest of it. And that can have a major impact on our self-esteem and of course you mentioned there you know growing up in affluent families is 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 a blessing in some ways but it's also a curse yeah. because you know if you've got two, two high highly achieving parents that's a lot to live up to a lot of uh psychological issues that we're seeing um are in, are in among affluent groups for that very reason that the uh, the unrelenting standards and the unrelenting pressure to live up to those those expectations is really tough it's really tough for young people and they, they find it really difficult. These pressures don't discriminate and they, they cut across all classes, cultures. And, and really, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to recognize that we are just human beings at the end of the day. No matter where we come from, we, you know, we want to feel like we're connected. We want to feel like we matter. We want to feel like we've got a purpose. And so all of those things are way, way, way more important than trying to outperform or outdo or compete with other people. And I think it's really about trying to reconnect with that as a collective, because the more we the more we push ourselves to outperform each other or our family members or all the rest of it, um, I think the more these mental health issues are going to grow. So, yeah, look, we it's natural to compare, but, but I think we have to take responsibility as a collective to realise that I think our comparisons these days are often very, very um, excessive and um, not at all in line with reality or what is actually achievable. And, and yeah, I just love the points you're making. And, and this whole idea, I think, of self-worth, because effectively we're almost saying, okay, if I can get to this level, then that gives me self-worth. But actually, you're never going to get to that goal. There'll be somebody always with a, a bit more money, a, a better house, um, you know, uh, a better boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, <laughs> you're just never going to get there. Um, so it's almost you set yourself up on in this trap, which or a problem which you're never going to solve. Um, I mean, what, what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think we also have to be very careful about setting ourselves definitive goals, particularly if they're really lofty. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with high goals. 
but they have to be realistic and they have to be aligned with your own belief systems and values things that you know you think are important to you so if you you know if you're comparing yourself to i don't know the joneses and you're looking upward to the realm of more you've got to be really careful with that because you could work really 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 hard and still never get there not because it's your fault but just because you didn't have the right connections or you weren't lucky at the right times or things just didn't go your way at the crucial moments you got ill or somebody in your family close to you died or whatever so this is life things like this happen they can really derail us and and if we only if we only uh consider our success within a very narrow framework of this target or that target then we don't give ourselves permission or opportunity to um not make it if that makes sense and feel okay with that be at peace with that knowing that there were other factors out of our control which meant we didn't quite get there and that you know we're able to reflect on where we did get to and and, and appreciate and be satisfied with the progress that we made to get there if you know what i mean like it, it, it can be a really exhausting way to live if we're continually chasing the rainbow. You know, if we continue chasing that elusive horizon, because we, we will never get there. So I think it's I think it's so important that we try not to, uh, where possible, set ourselves strict, rigid destinations, and instead, as you mentioned, try to enjoy more of the journey and the process, um, because that's where you really find your joy. Yeah, no, I I, I just love that point, and I think moving on from that, this whole idea of perfectionism leading to better performance that's a complete myth uh, I, I think is that right Tom yeah absolutely um loads of evidence now over many many decades shows there's no relationship to infections and performance in the workplace like just let that sink in be realistic no relationship zero over many many hundreds of studies and that's curious isn't it because you would think that the effort perfectionists expend in their work would at the very least give them more success yes be the case doesn't seem to be the case so why is that well there's two reasons the first is that perfectionists work hard but they work too hard unsustainably hard as is the case for me we burn out um we feel exhausted enervated cynical about work and uh, ultimately remove ourselves uh, become ill and remove ourselves that's obviously not the pathway to performance but there's a second reason why perfectionists find it difficult to perform and that's because they're world-class self-sabotages so whenever you put them in situations of challenge, we've sort of touched on these theme. You will see perfectionists try to avoid failure. That's the primary motive, not to approach success, but avoid failure. And what it, I'll show you what this looks like really interesting in the lab, because we do this a lot with patients, people, we put them in a lab, and we give them challenge, setbacks, failures to deal with and see how they respond. And uh, if we give them a task, let's say a sports task, we love sports, sports competitive realm, you really get, you really get into this really um, neatly. Uh, you, you've got to cover a certain distance a certain amount of time and put you on a bike, go for it. And at the end, they'll try really hard to get this goal, but and we'll tell them that they failed, no matter how well they did, they failed, they didn't quite make it. But it's okay, don't worry, you got another chance. You can try again. And on that second attempt after the first failure, people who don't score very hard perfectionism, they don't really change their effort. In fact, they put a little bit more in. But the perfectionistic people, their effort falls off a cliff right? Because you can't fail at something you didn't try. And the guilt and shame and embarrassment of that first failure is so intense that they don't want to feel those things again. So they will protect themselves from failure at the expense of their chances of success. And so, of course, this is why we don't see these relationships that we think we should see between perfectionism and performance because of this unsustainable hard work and then this self-sabotage. So I think it's really important that we break through this myth about perfection being the necessary evil, our favorite flaw, you know, this thing we know has baggage, but nevertheless, it's going to make us more successful. It has baggage. It has loads of baggage. 
it's not even going to make us more successful. So it's about time we need to rethink about, you know, what are healthy ways to strive and try to turn our backs on perfection. Love, love that point. And reading into your work, um, I think one point that I came across was this, sometimes perfectionists can be risk averse and not willing to take a chance. Mm. And that makes me think of something that you know, one of your colleagues, Dr. Grace Lorden, talked about in her book, Think Big, and talking about how generally, um, say, women and ethnic minorities, they're risk averse because they, they know the world as it is, and they have less leeway to make a mistake. And I was just wondering, is there any correlation between perfectionism and gender or race? Have you ever come across that in any of your work? Absolutely. Grace's work is very important and she's making an excellent point that we don't often talk about. But there's intersectionalities here too. You know, I'd add in a third class. One of the things that is really evident to me coming from a working class background is the overcompensation I need to make at all times to leap over structural barriers that are placed in the way and this is this is even more intense for women and uh, ethnic minorities because they also have stereotype threats um, to contend with they have gender pay gaps to contend with they have um, biases in the workplace to contend with and historical you know yeah baggage from the patriarchy around people pleasing and having to turn up to work with a positive and happy pretense all the time right these are all pressures that are very gendered and can weigh on um ethnic minorities in, in a large way so how do we respond to those as individuals and of course we're going to overcompensate we're going to push harder because we feel like the consequences of not doing so could be really catastrophic. If, if you've if you've lived your life knowing that one mistake, yeah, you know, could end you, could end, you know, could be the difference between you know putting food on the table that yeah. week that month, you know, um, could be the difference between losing your tenancy. Yeah, you know, that's that creates in you a very loss averse kind of psychology. Right. You know, I hear a lot about um, from gurus talking about, oh, you know, just keep going. You know, you can't have a scarcity mindset, yada, yada, yada. Clearly, they've never had to have a scarcity yeah. mindset because they've lived very comfortable lives. Yeah. If you know the consequences, like the true consequences of, of, of actually what happens when you make mistakes and, and, uh, and fail in certain domains, then, of course, you're going to try to avoid those things at all costs. So I think Grace is making an excellent point, a point that isn't made enough, that we have to consider those additional factors when we're talking about success. Because it is absolutely the case, and I don't have strong evidence for this, but it is absolutely the case that one of the reasons I think we see perfectionism feature very heavily among women and ethnic minorities is for the reasons that Grace is talking yeah. about, the reasons that, that, that there is a loss aversion that's very, very deeply ingrained. And so we overcompensate for that loss aversion by trying to be perfect. Yeah, the, the reason why I, I mentioned that, Tom, is that um, the majority of my listeners on the podcast um, are uh, female. I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, I thought I was making a, a podcast for myself, but clearly... <laughs> that's my those are my people so you know obviously thank you for all the listeners but i just thought it's an important point to to make that i think if you can understand that maybe you have a predisposition to something or there are these um genetic or other factors which are leading you to a particular type of behavior then you can't overcome it but you as as we're talking about you can put things in place to sort of check yourself and say is this, you know, do I really need to do this? Um, am I being perfectionistic or is, is it good enough? Good enough. Yeah, and then the, it's the overcompensation piece that I'd be very, I'd be, I, I would really urge your listeners to, to reflect on. 
is is this an overcompensation? Am I am I trying to work really hard to overcome things that you know are not in my control? It's not to say you know you need to temper your aspirations. Absolutely not. It's not to say that you can't want to change those things. Absolutely, you should want to change those things. But we also have to meet the world where it is too. And um, and and those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You know, we can want things to change. We can advocate for that change, and we can push as hard as we can in the direction of change. But we can also be the world where it is. Psychologically, that's our challenge, and that means you know, accepting that you're going to be pushing yourself too hard. Yeah. Well, be uncomfortable if you try to overcompensate for those things. So it's about being kind to yourself. It's about recognizing that these things uh, exist in the world. These injustices exist in the world. That nothing to do with you. There's nothing you you know that, that's your fault for those things. It's just the way the world is. And I think it's so, so important that you treat yourself with kindness, you reflect on those and reframe those things as, you know, as, as, as rather than sort of barriers, but actually they're just obstacles and, and, and they're obstacles to be navigated. Um, and as I say, that doesn't mean acquiesce. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. You can want those things to change, you should want those things to change, but it's also about being kind to yourself and recognising that, Sometimes it's, it's, it's in, the, in the moment you have very little power to change these things. And so it's about it's about acceptance, reflection, and finding more constructive and compassionate ways to move forward. That's that's how I would approach it. Yeah, because I think in your book, you talk a lot about these sort of structural issues, about how almost society is forcing us to consume. I think you talk about your two friends, is it Ian and Kevin, who aspired to these things. They were consumers. Effectively, they were the perfect um, people for our society, consuming all the time. And actually, that's what drives economic growth. And yeah, there are many other things as well. Um, you know, the, the the sort of the class barriers as well. And I mean, clearly, those things exist, and you can't change the world. But I think just knowing is much better than not knowing. I mean, what do you think, Tom? Absolutely, I think the the first step to rehabilitation of perfectionism is realizing that this is a bigger pro- perfectionism is a culturation to the society. That's what Karen Horney wrote way back in the forties and fifties. You know. The problem isn't with you. The problem is in is is with your acculturation yeah. to, to society like that, and and that has created created a lot of problematic conflicts within ourselves because we try to conform to society's ideal, who the person we feel like we should be, you know, the ideal consumer who's got the best brands, who's got the best trainers, who's got the best car, yeah. best house, all the rest of it, and looks the looks looks a certain way, behaves a certain way. Yeah. These are society shoulds that are just fired at us all the time. And in order to try to conform to that ideal, we move ourselves away from who we really are, this kind yeah. of imperfect, flawed, vulnerable person that deep down we know we are, right? And that's yeah. that inner comfort that creates a lot of the psychological difficulties and the perfection. So, you know, I think it's really important we recognise that there's a broader context to these feelings because that takes a lot of personal power of accountability of us. So there's nothing wrong with you, right? There's yeah. nothing wrong with you. This is just a natural and normal response to relentless cultural conditioning that's pushing you in a certain direction. Now, you know, I don't take a value judgment on this, uh, on, on the society that we live in. You know, this supply side economy, consumption based economy is, has, has created unthinkable amounts of abundance that we enjoy today. I mean, we've got billionaires sending millionaires into space right now. <laughs> we have a huge amount of abundance in developed worlds. And, and a lot of that's to do with the economic um, system that yeah. has been with us for, since the Industrial Revolution, really. So, don't, you know, I make no value judgment on it, but I do think what we have to recognize is that, you know, the trade off for that economic abundance is that we always need to feel not enough. We need to feel we're always in a holding pattern of scarcity because otherwise we'd stop consuming and then we'd start working, businesses would close and everything would start to fall down, right? So it's such so important that we just recognise that. The, the very 
act of knowing that in some ways we're yeah. supposed to feel like this, I think can take a lot of power away from those feelings. And, once we, and if we can, you know, approach our problems from uh, that, uh, from a, a point of perspective and <laughs> consciousness, I suppose, if you want to call it that, uh, we can then begin to meet the world where it is in ways that are a lot more healthier and, and feel like we don't have to at all times conform to that idea. You know, we can be ourselves, we can show ourselves, we can be vulnerable, we can be courageous and that these things are okay and that actually will be a lot healthier, happier and interestingly, more productive too if we do those things. So uh, it's it's so important we we have a deep understanding, not just of ourselves, but how the world works too. Just, just love that, and and I think you know, partly what you're saying is it's almost as if you have to be kind to yourself, appreciate what you've done, and I think actually when you can value yourself, as we were talking about, it's almost as if it's a lack of, it's a deficit which is driving us to perfectionism. So mm-hmm. almost if you can say, well, uh, what I've achieved is enough, it's it's good enough. Actually, it's very good. That can really help maybe deal with your perfectionism i mean what do you think tom yeah i think so but what you've got to remember is that if we all did that we would have yeah. serious problems yeah of course <laughs> because we would you know we would our consumption would be dialed back yeah, sure. a bit because we wouldn't need to continue just for ourselves mm. our work would also be dialed back a bit because we're taking a more reflective and philosophical view on life where there's mm. more to life than just work yeah and suddenly we now have a problem. So I, you know, the final chapter of my book is coming under a little bit of criticism. But what I'm trying to say is we can't have it both ways. We can't be telling people that, you know, embrace the um, the feeling of good enough and being in contentment, whilst at the same time pursuing an economy that's to grow at all costs. Those two yes. things are incompatible with yeah. each other. And, and what I'm trying to say is, well, why don't we just, re- why can't we reconsider our relationship with growth and, and try to be more agnostic about it? That's not to say it's not important, but to recognize that there are more important things. And if the, we're, if we're happy, more contented, if we're living longer, healthier lives, and, but the economy is not growing, is that a problem? Like, what's the most important thing? Um, and, and I'm really, I, I just want people to start to rethink you know, how a society could look, one in which in, encourages us to feel like we're enough, encourages us to feel content and allows us to live lives in which we don't need to perhaps work and consume ourselves um, to exhaustion. So, you know, this, these are really the ideas I'm trying to get people to wrestle with in the book. And I, and I hope that they can make the connections between, you know, the, the economy and society and our psychology. But that, that's quite a nuanced thing. And, you know, sometimes it's very, you know, people want sort of black and white, you know, do this yeah. or do that. Yeah, I, clearly, I, I love what you're trying to do. Um, it, it's a tough one. But just actually, uh, apart from um, what we've talked about, is there anything else in terms of, uh, you know, that people can do to manage you know, if they are? And, and, and I think you mentioned that perfectionism is on a spectrum. So it's not, you know, there, there are degrees of it. So you can have maybe slightly lower grade but then it's more extreme but you know say you are a perfectionist what what can you do to manage those tendencies absolutely yeah what could you do there's many different techniques that you can employ and things that you can bear in mind when it comes to managing your perfectionism the biggest one i think is to recognize that perfectionism is really about managing impressions and this perfect person that we're trying to be is we're almost living in fear of because we don't want that persona to be shattered and I think that sometimes it's important to have that persona shattered every now and again. 
And that means pushing yourself out there a little bit, being courageous, being vulnerable, being able to do things, you know, being willing to do things that you think you might not be great at. And if you're at work, maybe it's a talk. You don't think you're a very good public speaker. That's fine, neither do I. But it's important you push yourself out there and do yeah. it anyway. Right? Do you know what I mean? Like leading a project, you might feel like you're not great at, at leadership skills or management skills, but you know there's an opportunity to lead something. Go and do it. You know, and and you, and the first time you do it, it's not going to be the best. You're not going to be <laughs> you're not going to be Tony Robbins or whatever. You're not you're not going to you know be Steve Jobs on yeah. the first attempt. It's just it's just not not going to happen. But but just sit with that discomfort a little bit and and realize that. In those moments, that teaches you something very important about your perfectionism. That actually, it's teaching you that this is going to be a catastrophic experience. It's going to go badly. That everybody's going to see. And what the reality is, is that you're going to learn from, and that you're going to make mistakes. And people are going to be supportive, and you're going to be able to put in place, you know, a better way of doing it for next time. So that you know, so that you develop in those areas. Your perfectionism stops that development. It will block that development, and you have to really get out of your comfort zone a little bit to. Uh, to make sure it doesn't do so all the while you need to also be compassionate to yourself so you have to employ self-compassion all the time make sure that you uh, kind yourself when you do encounter those setbacks make sure that, that you're kind both to yourself and other people when they've experienced the setbacks too and kindness compassion and it's so so important there are other micro strategies i mean perfectionism uh, uh, creates a lot of paralysis a lot of um, procrastination so i would also suggest a, a good technique is to just Set yourself very short chunks of time, bursts of time, and just start work. Turn everything off, turn your email off, turn your internet off, turn your phone off, and just get started. Yeah, yeah. Research is that you're more likely to finish if you get started. But you have to be strict. You have to give yourself boundaries, and you have to say, this is the time I'm going to have, and I need to get work with the paper. Because you can always edit something that's imperfect, <laughs> but you can't edit something that doesn't exist. So it's really important to get started to you can break through procrastination in that way and then finally i would say intrusive thoughts are very common among professional yeah. people they think in very black and white terms i have to do this i must do that very rigid um very punitive as well write those thoughts down don't suppress them yeah. and ask yourself how much do you actually believe this right now like how much do you actually believe that everything's going to come crashing down if you give a bad talk actually believe that and start to moderate and soften those beliefs. Say, well, it would be nice to give a talk that's praised. Or if, uh, if if possible, I would like to do. Or, the, you know, if I don't do so well in this, then it's going to be okay, right? These are important reframing techniques that really counteract the, the very catastrophizing and all or nothing ways that perfectionists people tend to think. So don't suppress those thoughts and feelings. I think it's really important to diary them if you like, write them down if you like, rate them, reflect on them, and then try to reframe and find more compassionate and constructive ways forward. So those are the things I'd recommend uh, for perfectionistic people that have helped me and that have got some evidence to suggest that they're effective. Yeah, and, and I just love that point about putting yourself in difficult situations. Sometimes that's where you know you learn lessons you get this growth, you suddenly realize that you have the ability to do things which you just didn't think. Um, let me say with this podcast, you know, I don't think I'm physically creative, but I've somehow recorded 65 episodes and with people like yourself. Um, so it's not just my mates who have <laughs> met down the parable. So I think it does show that you can actually do things to a level which you just didn't realize. Almost that fear, putting yourself in those difficult situations, it does just 
give you that adrenaline and you know, sense of purpose and joy and any thoughts on that Tom? Of course, it gives you so much joy to just push yourself out there a little bit and realise that it's okay and that you accomplish something. And then that's, you know, that's the most important thing. This is a great podcast. I'm not surprised it's become very popular and, and you, have a, you have a very charming and affable way about you that draws people in. And, <laughs> and I'm not surprised in the slightest. And I think that that's a thing. I never thought I'd write a book. <laughs> And and writing a book is 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 the most frustrating thing for a perfectionistic person because yeah. you never finish. But yeah. releasing it into the world is the most therapeutic thing because letting something go and then finally having no control over it whatsoever. Yeah. That for a perfectionist is so daunting. But once you allow yourself to do it, then you begin to realize that oh my god, it's okay. People love the book. That's wonderful. But some people really hate it, and that's awesome <laughs> fine as well. Like you can take the one star reviews and whereas your perfectionism will tell you well that's if you've got a one star review don't put it out into the world because if somebody doesn't like it then that's going to be yeah it's going to say something that's wrong with you right put it out into the world someone still doesn't like it if you realize that it is that it's not that way at all <laughs> but it's just one of those things that that is life that some people are going to love what you say some people are not going to love what you see some people are going to be indifferent it's just the world we live in it's not a perfect world uh, and and the feedback and responses that we get to being brave enough to put ourselves into the world and, and say something or create something is not always going to be positive and, and that's fine you know that's like taking a sledgehammer to perfectionism because you know that that really that 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 just release letting go and whatever will be will be is a very good philosophy to have not just you know for writing books but when it comes to projects when it comes to send, even something as small as sending an email you know it's it's such a refreshing and liberating philosophy if we just allow ourselves to just feel that fear do it and, and tom I, I feel slightly embarrassed i was not asking for you to give me a validation of my podcast but i do feel a lot better so apologies if i put you in a difficult situation but actually one i, I want to be I, want, I just want to say that i this has been such a great conversation and you have a very good um style of um i suppose you call it interview but I, I think it's more of a chat so honestly i mean it i mean it no. Really thank, nice. thank you but but what, one interesting point that you brought up which I, I i suddenly struck me was that actually when you're creating a book or any any piece of you know, content or art you, you always think well i yeah i, I want to try and make sure every argument is buttoned down etc cetera, etc cetera. but actually if you look at it more as a way of getting it out into the world and actually starting a conversation and actually, uh, it's a conversation which is going to continue. And actually, it's when people challenge you, then you might have a different perspective. So maybe um, getting it out into the world will help you with book number two and book number three, because people will start challenging and saying, well, I don't agree with this. And then that gives you an avenue to, to go down. Otherwise, sometimes trying to come up with ideas in a vacuum is difficult. But if people are challenging you, um, and it's not about proving them wrong, but it's trying to understand what what is the the truth uh, underlying the the science and the data, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to have a I want to have a conversation. I want to put the conversation about mental health and perfectionism being societal phenomenon that are part genetic, but also part of living in modern society. And actually, if you want to draw that argument to its logical conclusion, then you're going to have to think about societal solutions as well as individual solutions. Yeah. That's a conversation I want to have. 
And look, I'm going to get economists up in my DMs telling me I don't understand economics. That's fine. Let's have a conversation. I'm the fact you're even talking about the issues that I'm raising is is positive for me. I don't mind that you don't agree. I, I, you know, some people have said some mean things in the, in the <laughs> reviews. That's probably you know more, uh, more of a but I actually don't mind that you don't like it. Like I, I just want us to be having the conversation, and and so it's you know it's. This is how I think we should be thinking about what we leave in the world and what we're creating. A bit like my my grandfather, right? We're trying to make a difference in some way um, to to help people along. And and some people are going to love it. Some people aren't going to love it so much. But as long as it sparks something, it starts a debate. That's that's the most important thing. So you know, not what people think, not the outcomes, not the five star reviews, not the fire emojis or the TikTok appraisal or whatever. None of that's mad. <laughs> What matters is what you're impacting on the world or how you're impacting the world. And that should always be the most important. And 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 Tom, are the growth mindset people still talking to you? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, unfortunately not. No, they, no, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. And there is <laughs> there is some agreement. I think what I think where they can meet me a little bit in the middle is that we have it's turned into something of a cliche. And I don't yeah. think do I no, ever, sure. ever meant yeah. it to, to do that. I actually like um have a lot of sympathy for Carol in that respect. I don't think she ever meant it to turn into a bit of the cliche that it has turned into. But I think we just need to be careful about that because our discussions about growth can turn into perfections very quickly if it's if it's at the extreme. It's like anything, everything in moderation, right? (laughs) Too much growth and growth and growth is perfection. But growth in moderation and recognizing that we can let things go and sometimes we're going to fail and it's not a linear path, well that's very healthy growth. I have to admit, I'm a big proponent of Doctor Dweck's work, but but I, but I I also see where you're coming from. So I I, I can't yeah I don't see a problem in having you know differing views. Um, you know that would be silly not to. But Tom, uh, you know, obviously you're a, you're a busy man at, at a highly prestigious university, and and I didn't realize the acceptance rates of the LSE were so low. Um, I feel a lot better about myself reading that fact. It's really exclusive. It's it's and, horrendous. And you know what? Like I, I have to always put that in perspective to my students whenever they like have real struggles accepting themselves or accepting the grades that they got. You've got to put it in perspective. Stop for a moment and look at how far you've come. To even get here is a ridiculously crazy um, uh, achievement. Even, so yeah. always got to bear that in mind. Yeah, that, that's what I say to myself every day. There you go. Wake exactly. up every morning and put it as a note <laughs> on your fridge. <laughs> uh, so, Tom, look, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you. And so just a, a couple of final things. Um, clearly, you've got a, a website. You're on LinkedIn. Um, is there any other way that people can get in touch with you? Because I'm sure after the Goop interview, uh, you're going to be too busy to connect with people. But just no. in case... <laughs> No, I loved, I, you know what, it's been busy, obviously. I get a lot of emails now, but I love every, receiving every single one of them. So please don't be put off. Do, do, uh, if you Google Thomas Curran, The Perfection Tribe, you'll find all the links uh, to my socials and uh, uh, my website, which has also a link to my email. And you can. I, I would encourage people to get in touch. If you've read the book it's, and you've, it's impacted you in some way, please let me know. And if you don't agree with it, please let me know as well. Like these are, these. are I just love to hear from readers. Um, and every reader I'm very grateful for. So, um, so yeah, please do go and check me out. Thank you, Hajj, for the opportunity to uh, speak about this really interesting topic on your podcast. 
And, and and just one final thing. Is there anybody you'd like to give a shout out to who's helped you in your life or your career? A couple of people? Gosh, it's, yeah, there's so many people. I mean, I stand on the shoulders of giants when it comes to perfection research. Paul Hewitt, Gordon Flat, really important and influential figures write about them very detailed in the book. Uh, Andrew Hill is a big impact on me. He's my PhD supervisor. We've worked very closely together. I spent six months with someone called uh, Larissa DeBook, who... Um, uh, it was a fantastic manager, best manager I've ever had. Really just got it, you know, like took a deep interest in in you, not just as a colleague, but also as a person. And that was such a liberating uh, uh, way to work. And you felt supported and you felt like it was okay to make mistakes. And just refreshing to have somebody manage in that way. So, you know, I, the, the list goes on and people have really helped me in my life. But those are the three that spring to mind when you've asked me that question who've been like really influential. Ooh, and uh, don't don't forget your parents. Can't forget our parents. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm always going to be a work environment. But yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for allowing me to uh, rectify that situation. No, my parents, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I just uh, I, they've they've been in very very influential in my life, um, and uh, have well, without them, I would I wouldn't be here. So yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, Tom, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, um, continued success with your work. What, what is the next? Is it perfectionism part two? Or is it going down a slightly different avenue? Or are you just trying to still calm down after the success of the book? I'm going to take some time off because I think Good. it's really important to get some downtime because it is a bit overwhelming sometimes um, with these things, particularly if you haven't done it before. So I'm going to do that. And then, yeah, I, I think my next book is going to be written with a clinical psychologist and we are going to take a deep dive into what we can do to overcome perfectionism as individuals because one of the things that my book does really well is, is shine a light on the cultural factors that are breeding perfectionism, but um, not so much on what we as individuals can do about it. So uh, the next book is really going to be a deep dive on um, strategies that people can employ to uh, try to take a different direction. Uh, away from perfectionism so that's in the pipeline i don't know when it's going to be published it won't be for at least a few years but um it should be uh it should be a good read when it, when it finally does come out Ooh, fantastic uh anyway enjoy the rest of your day tom and, and thanks once again thank you i appreciate that bye-bye bye-bye thank you so much for listening and staying to the end that was such a fun interview if you'd like to listen to more episodes please subscribe to the podcast which is available on your favorite providers and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening, wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.